Welcome to the Finding Clarity Podcast, featuring Dr. George Cannon. This podcast is a ministry of the Kerbinsville Christian Church. Finding Clarity seeks to answer your questions about Christianity. Here's George as he looks at this week's question. Welcome to the Finding Clarity Podcast. This is George Cannon, and you're listening to Episode 34. Finding Clarity Podcast is a podcast ministry of the Kerwinsville Christian Church where we seek to answer questions that you might have about Christianity and the Christian life. And so each week we put together a podcast where we address a question that somebody has presented for us to answer. It might be a question that you're wrestling with or you have a friend who's wrestling with it. And today we're going to be answering a question that uh, somebody just recently gave me here at the church. It's actually one of two questions. We're going to answer this one this week and the next one next week. So we're going to look today at the question. It's kind of an odd thing that Jesus is saying on the cross. What does it mean? And it's where Jesus cries out, We see it in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakakthian. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's also mentioned, same thing in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Now, the question that we're going to wrestle with today is... Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Now, I'm just going to have to admit to you that this is actually a hard saying. This is one of the hard sayings in the Bible. And of all the hard sayings in the Bible, this is the hardest of all of the sayings. What exactly is Jesus talking about here? And the reason why we wrestle with it and, and is because we know the relationship that Jesus has with God the Father, especially since they are two of the three persons of the Trinity, that it, one God in three distinct persons, they're uni, unified, one God in three, three in one, one in three. How is it possible for for one part to forsake the other, one person to forsake the other person. How is it possible for one person to forsake the other person when they are unified as God, three distinct persons, the essence of one God? How is that possible? So then what we're going to do is as we try to answer how is that possible, we're going to look at what does it mean. What does it mean and why is it important that this took place. We're going to look at why it was important and what does it mean. And then we're going to look finally and look at how we can relate to this. What what is the significance of this for you and I, especially the issue of God forsaking Jesus? Is that something we need to be concerned about? So, let's talk about how it's possible because That seems to be the one thing that we're really struggling with here. How is it that God could forsake Jesus? Because this is what we know. We know that they had an intimate relationship. 
in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says to his disciples, when you see me, you see the Father. He says the, the Father and I are one. And there's obviously this unity that exists between them, this relationship that exists between them. How is it possible for God to forsake his son? Well, what we're going to look at here is is that the forsaking, we think of it in terms of a relationship being broken. That somehow the relationship between God and Jesus, God the Father and Jesus was broken. But that's not possible. What we're going to see here is that it was actually a judicial separation. And that the Father, because Jesus became sin, that is, he took upon our sin and became sin, and the Father cannot look upon sin, he turned away from Jesus judicially so that Jesus, in the intimacy of his relationship, never experienced that at all. So therefore, when he's on the cross as our sin, taking upon our sin, becoming sin for us, and experiencing the penalty of that sin, the judicial aspect of their relationship takes place, and God turns from him, not ending the relationship. And that's very much seen in Jesus crying out to him in a very personal way, my God, my God. There's obviously that, that personal aspect there, but Jesus, God is turning away from him judicially because of him becoming our sin. So that's how it's possible. It's not a break in the intimate relationship. That's not possible. But what it is, is, is that Jesus becomes our sin for us and God the Father turns from us. Now, what does that mean that he forsook Jesus because he came our scene. Why is that important to you and I? So there, we're going to spend some time talking about this now. Why is that important that this had to take place? Well, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think for a moment of the things that you have done wrong, the things and the ways in which you sin. Is there any way possible for you to deal with it on your own. Can you remove the guilt of that? Can you remove the penalty of that? Can your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? If we have a possible way of knowing whatever the standard is, the reality is, is we don't know what that standard is, especially since we sin continually, both ignorantly and intentionally. We understand the ones that we the sins that we do that are intentional, but we have no comprehension of the sins that are done ignorantly. But yet we're responsible for them, and there is nothing that we can do on our own to attain salvation, to attain forgiveness, to attain the removal of that penalty. Now, but yet there is one who is perfect who took that penalty upon himself. There is one who is perfect who took that penalty upon himself. L listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 23. So he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ. So you and I are being justified freely through the redemption 
That is Jesus Christ. The re- our redemption is Jesus Christ. Now, why is Jesus our redemption? Listen to verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had previously passed over the sins that were previously committed committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. Back in verse 25, he says this, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Big Bible word. What does that mean? Well, it means atoning sacrifice or wrath satisfier. Jesus becomes our sacrifice once and for all. He takes upon the sin and is offered as a sacrifice for you and I so that we might have forgiveness and we might be cleansed and we might be made new and reconciled with God. So, when he takes upon that sin, our sin, the sins of humanity on the cross, he then, God cannot look upon him, so judicially he he forsakes him, not relationally, but judicially forsakes him. That is important for you and I because it's talking about Jesus being our sacrifice for our sins. This is why it's so important. This is why it had to take place. This is what it means for you and I. It's that important. If, it, if Jesus had not become our sin, if Jesus had not taken that sin upon him and been sacrificed for our sin, if that relationship judicially with God had not been affected because of his becoming our sin, you and I would not have salvation, we would not have forgiveness, and we would still be carrying the penalty of that sin in our lives we would still be carrying the penalty of that sin in our lives. Now, we've got one final segment we want to talk about concerning this question. The question is, is how can we relate to this? What is the significance of this for you and I? Well, two ways we're going to look at it here, because you can approach this issue from two different directions. We've already talked about its importance and how we can relate to it, and that's this. Number one, you need to recognize that when you struggle with sin in your life and you're going to God to seek forgiveness, you're going to him, confessing to him, you're repenting of your sin, you don't need to question or to doubt the reality that God has forgiven you. Why can I say that? Because Jesus became our sin on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. Because Jesus became sin for us and paid the penalty for our, for our sin and gave us salvation and forgiveness of sins. And he experienced that isolation in the relationship with God because he became sin. This is why it's so important for us. This is how we can relate to that. Because 
you and I, we struggle. We remember the things that we've done wrong. We're constantly reminded of them and we wrestle with, am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? We need only look at Jesus on the cross to realize that we've been forgiven. Now, there's a second part of this question with regards to how can we relate? And it's actually something that maybe you're wrestling with and you're fearful of, and it's kind of tied to the first part here. And the thought may be, well, if God could forsake Jesus because he became our sin, could he forsake us? Or could he forsake me because I've sinned in this area. Your fear might be is wondering if God forsakes you in your sin. Well, let me just go ahead and say this. That fear is real because when you and I sin, that relationship with God is affected. It's always affected. We grieve the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity. It affects that relationship. But here's what I want you to understand. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to forsake you. Why can you say that, George? Well, the reason why I can say that is is, is in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul gives a, a, a... a prayer of thanksgiving, and he reflects in his thanksgiving on the reality of the Trinity and their involvement in salvation. He talks about, first of all, in in verses 3 through 14, he talks, first of all, praising God for what he has done, praising Jesus. But then I want you to notice now, in verse 13 and 14, he talks about giving thanks to the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, sealed. What does that mean? That means he has put his seal of ownership upon you. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He can't forsake you. Look at verse 14. He continues on. Who is, talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Who's the purchased possession? You. He is the guarantee of your salvation later on. So you don't need to be fearful. Yes, you look at this and you think about how horrible it is that the relationship with Jesus was affected and that he was forsaken because of his sin. But listen, it was for you and I. And you don't need to be afraid that God will forsake you. Yes, the feelings that you're feeling are real. Yes, they are a concern. But it's probably more likely because it is the conviction and the grieving of the Holy Spirit because you're not doing right in an area. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to confess it. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to confess it. You need to repent of it. Turn, turn from it. And how can you do that? God is the one who grants repentance. He's the one who will help you turn from it. It's something for you to deal with. Finding Clarity Podcast is 
an opportunity to answer questions that you might have about Christianity and the Christian life. And basically each week we take a question and we try to answer it. So you might be there and you say, George, I have a question. Can you answer it for me? I have a Bible question. I have a question about Christianity or the Christian life. How do I get that to you? Well, if you attend our church here, you can do as this person did and write it on a card and, and put it in the offering or, or give it to me personally or ask me personally and I will address the question. Or if you don't have a church and you live in the Kerbinsville area, we would invite you to come to the Kerbinsville Christian Church. We have morning worship at 1045 on Sunday. We're come as you are church. We're really not worried about how you dress. We're just worried about you being here and being available to hear the word of God so that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. You can also contact us through our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Finding Clarity Podcast. Just go there. In fact, I would encourage you to like that page so you can keep up with what's happening with the Finding Clarity Podcast. But on there, you can message us or you can also write on our wall your question. You can also contact us through our webpage, org, And just simply go to the contact section and you'll find a form there to fill out and we'll be glad to answer your question. Next week, we're going to look at the second question that this individual gave us uh, to answer here on the podcast. And it's really an important question. It's probably something that a lot of you have wrestled with. And that is, does God hear an unbeliever's prayer? Does God hear an unbeliever's prayer? Trust you'll have a good week. Until next time, take care.